0: The cycles that we move through as women, the fact that we are not the same way every day of the month, we should be doing the same movement practice every day of the week, every day of the month was mind boggling to me because I was introduced to fitness and nutrition through programs that were not designed for women. They were designed for men. And most of the fitness and diet industry is researched on men, not women who have the 28-day infradian rhythm versus a 24-hour circadian clock. We do have that one as well. But men only have the one rhythm that's the same every 24 hours. And so from a scientific perspective, it's obviously much easier to measure and gather data from someone who is the same every 24 hours. This is where very much pull back the curtain. Oh, the information that is provided to me by the fitness and diet or wellness industry has its own flaws, has its own agenda.
1: Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring our relationship to movement and how it impacts every other aspect of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, Movement Guide and co-founder of Evolna, an intuitive movement lifestyle company helping people create a more fulfilling relationship to their body and self. Through my work in the fields of dance and fitness, I've always been deeply connected to movement and fascinated by how it shapes us. Join me as I dive into conversations with esteemed professionals from a variety of fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their personal movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope this podcast inspires and empowers you to create a more authentic relationship with your body as you experience the tremendous ripple effect movement can have on all other facets of your life. New episodes will be released on Friday mornings every other week. In the meantime, enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to welcome today's guest, Claudia Germuga, onto the podcast. Claudia is a movement and breathwork facilitator based in Brooklyn, New York. Between her certifications in nutrition and breathwork, Alongside her experience as a dancer and fitness instructor, she creates holistic movement programs designed to attend to our physical, emotional, and spiritual levels of being. In today's episode, we discussed how the menstrual cycle affects women's exercise and nutrition, the importance of moving in accordance with our body's needs, and how Claudia's experience with the eating disorder orthorexia led her to the path she is on now. This was such a profound conversation offering so many useful insights. So without further ado, let's tune in. Claudia, it's so good to finally have you on the show. This has been such a long time coming.
0: I cannot wait to have this conversation. I remember back to when you came to my apartment when the podcast was first starting to do mic tests, so I'm thrilled to be here as an official guest.
1: Yay! So let's go ahead and kick things off. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal movement journey beginning with childhood, like how you first began interacting with movement in your youth, how that's evolved into adulthood, and what that looks like for you now.
0: Yeah, personal movement timeline. So growing up, I was an only child, a very high energy only child. So this really, you know, led to a lot of necessary creativity in terms of how that energy was expressed and through what forms that didn't involve other children or adults all the time. So I feel like I really got imaginative then and was very playful then, dancing, singing, putting on plays, um, all of these things, and you know, running, jumping about. So getting creative when I was younger, I was put in dance lessons at the time at the age of three, and continued that up through my collegiate career and, and beyond. And, and then in my childhood as well, I started to take horseback riding lessons as well. And notice these are all very solitary or, you know, I am individual. the they're very individualized um, practices. They're not team sports. Um, so my history kind of growing up in my relationship to movement has always been a very individual one. Mm. And it hasn't really so much involved a team in the aspects that sport might generally be associated with. So it's always been a very personal journey or a personal expression with with the practices that I've done. When I was growing up through my dance career, I decided that I wanted to pursue it professionally around like age 12 or so. And so that's when things kind of got pretty serious and i shifted the the rigor that i was dancing and training and practicing more and horseback riding kind of fell away as it became clear that there was really only space for one craft to that like, kind of dominate and mm-hmm. i will say that horseback riding and dance don't i personally feel that like they're like such a beautiful blend of like intuition and spirit and expression together but mm-hmm. the, the actual physicality of them riding an animal where you could be thrown and break a leg and dancing requiring no broken bones <laughs> at all times
1: I was it, thinking like there's I got many a broken something in dance classes <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I think that my parents were very happy when they didn't have to sit and watch me on like a large beast jumping over obstacles I anymore mean, they' like, yeah, she will be in a studio in a contained environment. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know that I experienced dance as a contained environment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, naturally, um horseback riding did fall away, and dance kind of came to the forefront of my personal practice around that time. Once you start to pursue dance professionally, that comes with the pressures of the industry or, you know, kind of subscribing to that. So at this time, you know, going through puberty, committing to dance is, my primary purpose in life and primary passion. This also kind of came with the standards and body image issues that are really pervasive in the industry. So to uh, kind of control my aesthetics or the way I looked or the way that I felt in my body, and to be successful, I was introduced to cross training and fitness from a very young age, and and using that, you know, for to to flourish at my practice and cross training is is necessary as a dancer you you can't just do the your moves and the practice like it requires supplementary training so to be said that was fair and i um embarked on a fitness journey that started with a program that i'm sure many people know called beach body <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh beach body Those you know
0: the- <laughs> beach body Primarily, it was Insanity, the Insanity program with Sean oh, T, yeah. which is mm. so intense and rigorous. And <laughs> it was great. I, you know, I've always been a very physical individual, super high energy, you know, from that point of childhood, always seeking a challenge. So this was very in alignment but on top of a full academic I didn't go to a I wasn't homeschooled like I did full-on public school and full-on dance so Mm -hmm. on top of those you know waking up at 5 a.m to get in my insanity session before I went to school immediately followed by four hours of dance to come home and do homework to go to bed at midnight to wake up anywho that's kind of where I was inspired by fitness, but it also kind of spiraled out of control a little bit. Mm-hmm. I used fitness as also a necessary outlet for the anxiety that I was going through, especially as I started to, you know, pers- like I was starting to audition in my senior year of college for dance and just, you know, the pressures of academia and wanting to succeed and what's going to happen next. So, so many. Unknown variables in that time of your life. And so I really used fitness as a form of catharsis and emotional regulation as much as I used it to control my body as Mm. well. So I think that that was it really set the tone for how I use fitness or movement now and the fact that it does have the power to change your state of being rapidly mm-hmm. so I did always kind of have that and know I think that d- it's interesting though because dance dance was so filled with do this not that mm-hmm. do this not that succeed she gets attention I don't get attention oh I'm good at this I'm not good at that it, it was so filled with like those sorts of variables at the time for me, it was hard to see dance as movement and the Mm benefit, all of the amazing benefits that like having a regular dance practice and getting to do it four hours a day, you know, provided me like in terms of embodiment, like I look back at, you know, 16, 17 year old Claudia and like, she was so embodied and that allowed me to flourish in so many other aspects of my life. But I don't think that I saw The studio and training experience was not the cathartic experience I had in my, in my fitness sessions because it was, there was just so much like red tape around, you know, what was required of me, uh, like mental obstacles within the, within the dance
1: studio. Well, it's sort of like how, like the politics and culture and environment of a space, like all the, all the subtle things that influence Where you are participating in the medium can actually influence your experience of it. Because I had a similar experience with dance. Like I could not explain why it was so important to me. I just knew it was. And now, after all my years studying as a personal trainer and really investigating the details of anatomy and neuroscience and the body brain physiology, how it all maps out, now I know exactly why it was such an electric like drug almost because the amount of vitality and life force it promotes the creativity the effect the efficiency right the ability to focus the time management and it's so ironic because you're pouring so much time in into like these pre-professional dance careers and yet you find the time to do all the things that are important to you and do them well I mean almost every single young dancer I knew like Excelled at the things they cared about, no matter how separate they were from their time in the dance space. But something about that environment, both how like the cultural environment and the physical space, and then some of those psychological assumptions that get layered in, you know, around the body image and the right way and the wrong way and the self comparison and then kind of the competition that's always yeah. inherent, always laced in, it, it kind of. Dims the awareness on the true value of what you're getting to explore there.
0: Yeah, and I will say too that I I was lucky enough to grow up mainly doing competitive dance, and so I would travel to a lot of conventions every weekend. And I I, I came to the classical scene much later in preparation for college, but competitive dance like really gave me this outlet that I was outside the studio, I was on a stage. Like I was in, you know, conventions where you're with thousands of dancers learning and just being with the music and, you know, you're in the middle of like a convention ballroom on carpeted floors. But I do feel that there was, there was so much joy in that in like the way that you would, you know, as an athlete, you would go to a meet you know, mm-hmm. that was really the me. And I do feel that there was there was so much joy. And I remember feeling so in alignment and so grateful and so connected to my expression of emotion when mm-hmm. I would be learning these like miniature combos for like, you know, the sixth time, sixth class in a row before lunch, you know, <laughs> on a Sunday Sunday after going to bed at midnight from competing the night before yeah but there was so much so I I do I am grateful that it that I did have that side of the experience because not all pre- professional training includes that you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah I, yeah I really resonate with everything that you just said about just what it instills with you which that practice and in, instills in you and that's your training growing up
1: Yeah. One of the things I think about a lot in context of my relationship to dance and even my relationship to movement at all is just what is the nature of my relationship with my body? And it's interesting for me to look back on what my relationship with my body looked like back in the dance world, what it looked like as I transitioned into fitness and how I've been recalibrating it now. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about some of the details of your relationship with your body along that movement timeline and what are some of the key moments of awakening or enlightenment you had about improving that
0: so again from the time that I kind of decided that I was going to pursue dance professionally it was almost instantaneous that I developed an awareness that I was I was developing faster than some of my other, you know, students in the class. And that created self-consciousness almost immediately. I looked different. I was very athletic, very muscular, starting to develop sooner than other people. And I was like, I need to get tiny fast. Like I need to be tinier than I am. I'm big. There's a lot of me. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I'm fat. It was like, I am like big compared to these other people you know what I mean like I'd sit in the car with my friend in the seat and like look at my thigh and be like my thigh is like two times the size of her thigh when it's like laying there you know these are the like but I think it also speaks to the nature of like how nuanced you become and like the way that you're looking at and you know just deconstructing like almost every aspect of your environment and being and circumstances like as a dancer it's like so nuanced so there was a lot of pressure and antagonist antagonistic relationship between me and my body pretty early on I definitely sought to control that you know in in the ways that I'm sure many teenage girls I know many teenage girls it's not an unfamiliar female experience to Mm -hmm. start to restrict even in subtle ways to influence the way that you look the way that you feel so that was starting to happen like throughout my you know late late middle school early high school and as the intensity started to kind of increase I started to make the transition into training classically so I came to classical dancing really late but I recognized that I really need to pursue that if I was going to get into college for dance career. And that was that very much exacerbated my relationship with my body, I was starting to have some like digestive issues, I'm sure due to stress. And because I came to studying classical ballet late, I was put in a lower level with girls who were in sixth and seventh grade or younger. So every day we'd show up in leotards and tights, And already having not trained ballet, my body was developed and conditioned in a way that was not how ballerinas are conditioned Uh and trained from the age of six. So this was very confronting for me being in 11th and 12th grade and, you know, showing up every day, basically naked with fifth and sixth graders. It was, it, you know, it's a lot of comparison. So, <laughs> yeah, so my, um, in this period, it was very exacerbated, the relationship between me and my body, and I think a lot of the aspects of my life that felt out of my control in this stage of life, as it does, I decided to take that into my own hands through movement, through um, restricted eating, through purified eating, very specific about what I would and would not eat. And I was just nonstop, go, go, go from from that time on, when I went to college, it was, you know, even more of this same pressure feeling, unlike other people, overly vigilant about how I looked, if I could maintain it, it, it was incredibly unsustainable, like the amount of calories I was eating, the amount of focus I was putting on the calories that I was eating, the amount of energy expenditure I was going through every day, being in a brand new environment with new people in a new city without my parents, without my friends, like tossing in some collegiate academics to the mix. <laughs> um, <laughs> new York City. So- Huzzah. <laughs> yes, New York City. Um, yeah. So in college, I developed orthorexia, which is an obsession with eating pure food and not eating bad foods. And, you know, I was I was terrified of of socializing with people because I was scared that it would impact how I was able to maintain how I looked. It was going to impact how successful I was as a dancer. Ultimately, like my success as a dancer hinged on how my body looked in my perspective. I knew that I had the work ethic and I had the energy levels to, this is like such an aggressive like dancer mentality, but kind of like go the distance where other Mm -hmm. people would fall off in, they would hit their max. I knew that I could outrun them in those aspects where I could not outrun them was in how I looked. That was where I didn't have like, I wasn't naturally gifted in my eyes, in my eyes. Yeah. So that was where my focus went because that was the most important thing to me was having a su- successful dance career.
1: Yeah, isn't so- that such like a painful constriction from like the beauty of who you are? Like now looking back to see here you had all these incredible gifts and skill sets that were there abundantly for you to, to revel In what you did so well, so naturally. And then there's this one piece that gets layered into subconsciously, like deeply within within our our psychology. And uh, yes, as dancers, but especially as women. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: how that thing that you're seeing around you is enough to completely divorce you from the internal... Mechanisms that are at play that are telling you how vibrant and how strong and how powerful and amazing your body and you are,
0: yeah. I think that that especially is the interesting thing about orthorexia in particular is that it was the it's the recognition that my body is my instrument, my body is my temple. I am doing everything in my power to make sure that I'm taking care of my body and at the same time, like completely acting destructively towards it. And so I think that that is just such an, an interesting paradox of the condition, but... Yeah, you know, and you have the feedback that like, this is right. This is giving me vitality. I feel my most vibrant. I feel my most aligned when I'm doing these things. But this one aspect of it can be so pervasive that it, it really puts a dark cloud over everything that that is aligned about it.
1: Yeah. And I just think like how many times I was in a similar place Like I didn't have orthorexia, but I definitely had body dysmorphia and right. I also suffered from like, bulimia where i was like starving myself or intentionally trying to purge after overeating and binge eating and it was just this, this vicious cycle and even when i wasn't doing that i would also manipulate my relationship to movement to try and change my body and i took aggressive measures to do so and even when the changes were kind of aggressive so often i still felt so shameful and so disappointed in what I saw. And I would watch it change one, one day to the next. I mean, we're not talking about like, you know, oh, six weeks later, I was a little unhappy with how I looked. Like one day I felt great. And the next day I was in tears because I thought I looked fat and I wasn't. And it was, it's just such a, such a difficult and vicious cycle to be in all the time. And I think oftentimes this may not just apply to women, but people in general are on some level trapped in this and manipulated by these threads whether they're aware of it or not
0: yeah I resonate so deeply with the sense of feeling on top of the world one day and then the next very next day it's like that you've gained 12 pounds like feeling that way I also think that you know I, I went on to study holistic nutrition and one of the things that are ayurvedic professors shared with us is that from an ayurvedic perspective they categorize anorexia or the sense of feeling that the organs are inflamed from the inside so that i the desire to not eat or consume food is due not because of so much the actual like visual although i know that that is a part of the disease but that the organs actually feel you know, fat, it's that internal experience that's driving some of the behavior. And that I, that hit me, I was like, you know, my digestion was off, I was limiting how much food I like wasn't getting enough nutrients. So of course, you get all this host of, you know, hormonal imbalance, and therefore, inflammation, bloating, like improper digestion, um, that's resulting because of it, and then perpetuating this vicious cycle of restricting and continuing to overexercise, etc.
1: And it also affects how you feel when you're moving, when you have that internal inflammation in various organs, like you don't move as well. Your mobility is restricted. Your endurance is capped. Your strength can't be improved, right? You just don't feel as vital and as As powerful in your body when you're moving, and then it it gets hard to really want to even put the effort in to push yourself or to put that time aside because you're almost thrown into this feedback loop where you feel a little bit worse.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that was the most frustrating thing about that period was that it felt like no matter the effort, like that I put in, like I never moved the needle forward, like. Everything I tried just ended up circling back on itself, and I just it you know, nothing, nothing shifted. it wasn't it wasn't like a type of situation where I looked drastically different or I looked drastically unhealthy, which was part of the problem is that I just looked nice, like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it and these things can fly under the radar because you do look you don't look alarming or nothing. Maybe things aren't alarming, or you know, the pursuit of such an intense career path as a dancer—it's easy to wave off extreme behaviors that would otherwise, maybe, you know, that's out of balance. But everything else that the dance, like that dance, requires of you, is so extreme. It's easy to throw our lifestyle, our eating—you know, our like—it's easy to throw those into the mix of the extremity and group them in. I feel.
1: Well, I mean, even just talking about extremes, I noticed that our culture and our society largely hinges itself on valuing extremes, you know, and I think, yes, that goes for dance, but it goes for fitness, it goes for wellness, it goes for, you know, career, and and even like entrepreneurship and business and climbing up the corporate ladder, it is all modulated by extremes. So you know when you mentioned that like outside of that environment that maybe people would like wonder there's a part of me that also notices how we don't seem to register extremity in general because we're so used to assuming that's how that's how we hedge our leverage to be able to get to where we want to go faster and i think quarantine was an especially fascinating <laughs> experience because for me and for many people I know, it's forced us to like step back and slow down and quiet down enough to start recognizing these extremities that we've been throwing ourselves into.
0: Wow! Yes. Oh, and you said that it. I think too. It's oftentimes these these extremities. Uh, both having been a dancer and uh, and being a fitness professional. They're aspirational Mm. clients, other other humans. Like you're a dancer, they they're like, wow, that's the the golden standard. I should aspire to be that extreme. When some of it is required of the profession, the way you know a you know a professional soccer player would, they don't they don't don't do the other things necessarily. So that's required of their craft and sport, etc. But I think that that's such a problem that those those extremities are aspirational. and that and that goes for other you know environments too, like you said, like business, et cetera. yeah, it's it's not healthy, even though that's what the industry profits off of. so it convinces you it is or should be,
1: yeah. so this actually leads me into my next question, like knowing sort of a little bit more about your story with its orthorexia, correct? Yeah. <laughs> Check that I said it right. Um, what what steps did you start taking to actually bring yourself into a more healthy relationship with your body and and find the optimal balance of practices so to ensure the greatest level of health for yourself, maybe beyond these illusions of these extremities we're talking about.
0: Yeah. So I, unfortunately, was not lucky enough to kind of recognize this on my own and was unfortunately shook into having to recognize them. I so in college, I ended up losing my period and thought that I was a champion for doing that. That guarantees I have low enough body fat. I must be losing weight. That must mean I'm getting smaller. Great success. You know, um, that was super not healthy state of being, but also once we lose our periods, it does compromise your bone density and starts to take a toll on all the systems of your body when those hormones are not regulated. So um, about two years out of college, I suffered a really nasty tibial stress fracture that forced me to stop dancing. And I was not able to heal that while just giving it time in a boot. And this really forced me, kind of shook me into a healing journey where I recognized that, yes, this is a physiological injury, but it is also a representation of the relationship that I have to my body mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, the bone, bones are like at our deepest level. And it wasn't a coincidence that this wasn't getting better with rest. You know, it, this has been a pervasive relationship That I've had with myself since, you know, age 12, 13, 14, that six weeks was not going to undo just walking around, walk still walking around the city in a boot. (laughs) So what actually started to shift and move the move the needle with my injury was acupuncture. Mm. And at the time I had enrolled in holistic nutrition school and I was learning about Chinese medicine. And so for me, what actually changed this was that acupuncture was the thing that when I went back to my orthopedic, like there were changes on the scans because I was going to treatment, because I was taking these herbs. And meanwhile, while I was studying, I was learning about these holistic ways of, you know, relating to your health, relating to your bodily systems, relating to your energy, um, and your environment and just seeing health is more than calories in calories out body size from there I was able to start to recontextualize what it meant to be healthy what it meant to have vitality and I was able to shift my goal from being skinny to longevity. Overall, I'll never forget when I went to get put in the boot. The first first orthopedic that I saw was like, "So you'll be in this, and if this doesn't work, then we'll contemplate putting a rod in your shin." And I was like, "Excuse me, what?" I've not, I mean, as a dancer, I was lucky enough to never go through chronic tendinitis or broken bones or or anything of that nature. So this was really like the first time I'd ever been like, you may not move the same way you've always been able to the, the, the whole, your whole life. And I just envisioned like, I've never run a marathon. Like, what if I'm 45 and I decide that I want to run a marathon? Like, I want that to be an option. Like, I don't care if I actually do it, but I want the choice to be able to.
1: Yeah. I'm like, just thinking about so many levels of my experience that are similar here. Yeah and and also curious about you know how easy it is for us to think of health in the terminology of calories in and calories out and body size like that is by and large such a powerful part of how all of us are making choices about what movement practices to do and why and then the information that's being collected within that model is all to feed that. So nobody is really talking about the concepts of health and longevity, right? And yeah. unless you are in the wellness industry or have suffered at the hands of mismanaging your own wellness and have like the big wake up call. Yeah. You know, we don't actually investigate this. And then there's also the question of the fitness and wellness industries at large playing into the old model. Because that's where people's attention is. And then that's where the quick money is as well. And it's interesting, you know, one of our previous guests on the podcast talked about how marathon runners and like a lot of these elite athletes that we idolize so much actually have very short lifespans, like significantly shorter than you would imagine. So this correlation of like being fit and being athletic and, you know, being a professional in some form of athleticism, equating to healthy, happy, long life is not necessarily true. That like the life that's in service of longevity and authentic health looks very different. And, you know, those practices aren't mainstream. Those practices aren't glitzy and sexy, right? Like learning to lay down and breathe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Breath practitioner, right? I'd love to hear you talk a yeah. little bit about like the effects of breath on your personal practice and even the effects it's had on the clientele you work with.
0: Yeah. So breath work is a game changer. And I spoke a little bit about Recognizing that for me, fitness was a form of emotional regulation. It was cathartic in nature for me. If I was angry, wow, was I going to hit that workout hard? If I was sad, boy, did I know that I was going to have endorphins after and feel better. Did I feel stuck in my life? Man, I was going to prove to myself that I could push through and move that stuckness and feel clear headed after. And that is amazing. And that is the power of fitness because it forces you to be embodied and it forces you to inhabit yourself in a way that, you know, changes your state. But if that's your only form of emotional regulation, right, if that's the only tool in your toolbox, that's a lot of wear and tear to emotionally regulate yourself. So the thing that I have found about breath work is that it puts me in touch with the depth of myself. It regulates my nervous system. It regulates my emotions, my hormones so much more efficiently than a workout it, in, in alignment with that longevity modality or, you know, perception because you're not, you know, you can't do five workouts a day if something's coming up and it needs to be addressed and you need to regulate yourself. Like you can't always peace out for 30 minutes and grab your sneakers and, and hit the road. Or, I mean, you can, to a certain extent, but you know, know energy expenditure joints, like it's just a much more gentle and effective and efficient way I've found to achieve those, those, those same states that you become accustomed to receiving from your movement
1: practice. And movement is such a wide, vast, diverse ocean, you know. And so much of what we're used to connecting with on a movement level is really just the surface. It's it's everything that's visible and familiar and that we see others doing around us. But you know, breath work is a movement practice. Meditation yeah. is a movement practice. It's a practice yeah. in stillness, but that is still on the scale of movement. And, you know, the more we can learn to to give ourselves the freedom to play around with all the different forms of movement and to appreciate the differences there rather than constantly pushing them into categories of this is a good one because it made me feel like I was going to throw up. So <laughs> I must have done yep. something right. And, and then also appreciate the subtle ones are like, Maybe you didn't break a sweat, but man, did you get to feel like juicy and a little bit sensual and like relaxed and soft in your body? It's so interesting how so much of fitness is all about sculpting and like hardening ourselves, you know, yeah. or yes, making ourselves small. You mentioned this earlier; you had to become small. Yeah. How maybe is it to also be big and to be soft and to surrender and to? give in, you know, and then also experience that effort and that, that hustle and that push. Like these are, there's so many dimensions to be accessed here. And it goes beyond just adding that versatility to your body, but it goes for adding versatility to, like you mentioned that, that emotional response and that emotional transmutation that movement can give us. And it, and it also feeds into our ability Psychologically and mentally, when we're making decisions in our life, when we have more range in our movement practices and the ability to experience more of these sensations and qualities, that range gets translated in how we can adapt to situations and communicate with people, how we can innovate, how we can, you know, find solutions to problems in unexpected ways. And then fundamentally, just be more responsive human beings rather than reactive. I think trying to always enforce hardness (laughs) within our body also generates kind of like a less flexible mentality. And then these people just have a harder time being able to adapt to changing situations. And the truth is, is life is always in flux. So one thing you can really do to benefit yourself with a movement practice is invite that diversity and that versatility experience the range let yourself really be in all of it rather than the one thing because then that allows you to be a master of all the things that you want to master in your life
0: yes absolutely the the sense of cultivated like self-cultivation and like longevity are such principles that i aspire to now and like hold at the forefront you know as you describe these things i think that they're so textural to me. And that is one of the gifts of dance being an art and not just a, like a fitness modality is that you, you grow up working with these, like the sensuality, the precision, the dynamics of things are like ingrained in you. And you learn that movement equal, like has that capacity, you know, anyone who's just doing exercise doesn't necessarily, you know, maybe, maybe their Pilates instructor says this is a sharp movement or like, you know, like lengthen and slow, but it doesn't quite have like that qualitative association ingrained in it. But this is where like things get powerful because then you start to work with the energy and it, you start to add layers into what the movement is and what it can be for you and to bring that into breath work you know when we're working with the breath we're working with both the masculine and the feminine energies and and like ascension and descending and expanding and contracting and these are the these are what govern life like that's the beauty of like these ancient modalities like chinese medicine and ayurveda is that they're working with the organic principles of our world and the universe and so like you can start to sync yourself up with the organic processes happening around you and understand that they're happening outside you and they're happening within you. And what do you need to tap into to feel harmonious? And so then it's not a matter of doing right or wrong, good or bad. It's like, what do I'm on the spectrum? Okay. I can tell that I need X to get me back to my center. Oh, I need Y today to get me back to center. Oh, it's fall. I need to do more of this to make sure that I'm, you know, at my center, that I'm in alignment. It just becomes so much more like like rubbing my hands together. (laughs) You know, multifaceted and less binary. You know, there's just all possibilities are there.
1: I am briefly interrupting this interview to announce that we are thrilled to have launched Evolna's new on-demand app, where you have unlimited access to all of our intuitive movement exercises, workouts, and meditations designed to help you become the expert of your body while creating a more fulfilling relationship with yourself. We're offering a special discount. The first month trial is only $1. Sign up through our link in the show notes and include checkout code EVOLNA1 to redeem the offer. Now, back to the interview. Well, I mean, you and I, both talk about this more intuitive approach and i love that you mentioned cycles because cycles are woven in to our dna to our life experience you've got like the seasons the phases of the moon and like of course the women <laughs> we've got what? our men, and men as it turns out have their own cycle too and yeah. you have been like diving a lot into sinking your movement practice with your cycles. So, I would love to hear a little bit more about that process and some of the specific changes that you've noticed, whether they are happening physically or even like mentally and emotionally as a result.
0: Absolutely. So, I mentioned that I had lost my period, and to me, that was an indication of se- like severe hormonal disruption as I. As I confronted my tibial stress fracture, kind of getting to the root of like, why that was happening, what was, you know, preventing the healing was going to be like on this hormonal level. And so having to really kind of pull back the curtain and look at, okay, what about my, like, I'm only going to shift this through food as medicine, movement practice, lifestyle, supplements, like, how can I heal this in a really organic way and holistic way? and What became really clear to me is how much I was overdoing it with movement, how much I was burning myself out in this constant stress response, running around the city, staying up till three in the morning, you know, getting up at six, like just trying to achieve, achieve, achieve. So when I learned about that, our menstrual cycle period had four phases, which I did not know. (laughs) Um... It was brand new information to me. And I was obsessed with it. Like, because as I, as I learned this, I was studying Chinese medicine, which, which works, you know, with the five element theory and, you know, lays on top of the seasons of the year and um, the organ systems within us. And so everything has an association and a correlation. And so this was just another blueprint to layer on top of all the associations I was finding without me and within me and wow the fact that I could that it made so much sense as I started to learn about it like we mentioned this sense of one day feeling on top of the world in harmony with your body and then the very next day combating your body hating yourself feeling like you lost all progress overnight the cycles that we move through as women, the fact that we are not the same day or not the same way every day of the month, we're not, we shouldn't be doing the same movement practice every day of the week, every day of the month was mind boggling to me because, you know, I was introduced to fitness and nutrition through programs that were not designed for women. They were designed For men, and most of the fitness and diet industry is researched on men, not women who have the 28 day infradian rhythm versus a 24 hour circadian clock. We do have that one as well, but men only have the one rhythm that's the same every 24 hours. And so, from a scientific perspective, it's obviously much easier to measure and gather data from someone who is the same every 24 hours than someone who is not the same every 24 (laughs) hours. And it's not the same for another 28 to 32 days, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is where, yeah, very much pull back the curtain. Oh, the information that is provided to me by the fitness and diet or wellness industry has its own flaws, has its own agendas. It's it might not be in my highest favor all the time. It's really my job to decide to go looking for this information, which, in my perspective, like in my experience, has tended to be more ancient. So, yes, this has been so transformative. And I have to say, even though I've known about the ability to sync your movement practice with your menstrual cycle, the four phases of it, I haven't really been able to put it into implementation until quarantine, Mm. being um, teaching teaching, you know, 22 classes a week and like running around the city and, you know, having other obligations and pressures to, you know, participate to, you know, be, be at the studio moving and, you know, have affiliations with certain fitness brands. So being an ambassador to them does kind of encourage a certain way of moving. And Mm -hmm. I have to say that I was not strong enough or deliberate enough at that point in my life to be like, yeah, no, I'm menstruating this week, hands off, like, I'm not, I'm not doing the workout this week. I'm gonna be internal, and I'm not going to socialize, and I'm going to take it easy. And like, maybe I need to sub out some classes, because this is a time to cocoon and, and be within. But quarantine has blown all that up. (laughs) in a a really beautiful way and um I'm so grateful because it's really again like one of those moments where you know the rug is pulled out from underneath you but you get to rebuild in the way that you want it's a clean slate sort of scenario so I've really been able to walk the talk or just inhabit the knowledge
1: that I was aware of you know
0: you you get the knowledge and then there is the application of it and so I've actually been able to apply it now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know there's a whole world here. I mean, and there's so much research that still needs to be done because like you said, by and large, all the research that most people are pulling from and most of the fads and exercise systems are built on is like research on collegiate aged men, period. So, like ninety five percent of us don't fall into that category.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> you're like, it's like the population. Athletes, too, period. Yeah. yeah so,
1: I loved what you said. Like, allow yourself to like take that information and then choose what applies to you, and not take it all as like the golden rule. That I think is huge for our listeners to like hear acknowledge and let marinate. Um, but despite the fact that this whole world of syncing your movement with your cycle can has so much more to be done and is just at its beginning phases, what would you give our listeners in terms of like some simplified tips in terms of like what are like the one or two things every week of their cycle to think about that will actually help them find more alignment with their body's natural flow?
0: Yeah. So the first phase of our menstrual cycle is the follicular phase. And this is, I think of it, you can correlate it with the spring season. You're coming out of winter. Things are starting to come alive. They're young. This is when your hormones are starting to rise and your body is starting to prepare the egg to be released, to be fertilized. So in this phase, you are, your body and mind are primed to try new things cardio, like nice, like a good sweat feels really good at this time. So I used to teach rebounding classes, which is like on a trampoline going for a run or a jog, doing something to get your heart rate up. And that feels good. Maybe makes you feel mobilized after gives you some endorphins. These are great things to do during this phase or just, or just trying a new activity that maybe you're a little nervous to do. Like dance cardio comes to mind. Like have have fun like you know also dance cardio is like super like associatively it's like like super youthful it's like really high energy and and kind of carefree and I I think that that also goes along with like the nature of that phase
1: so you could say that follicular phase is sort of play and challenge yourself Yeah, and and
0: kind of like planning, like, where do you want this month to go? Like, what do you want the trajectory to be? Like, what do you want to try? Where do you want to end up? Um, It's like very much like a planning phase. So you can also if you're thinking about this creatively, um, you know, because our our cycle also is inherently a creative cycle and creating life. Like, okay, what projects do you want to do? Like, what dreams do you have? Like, time to make a vision board, time to, you know, make a brainstorm, let's do a brain dump. So this mm-hmm. is kind of all like dreaming with the possibilities. Anything is possible. Our second phase is the ovulatory phase. And this is one that if you don't know the four phases of your cycle, you, you might be more familiar with. Um, During this phase, when you ovulate, your egg is released into your fallopian tubes to hopefully be fertilized. So this phase is, man, this is so good. I love this phase. I love it in particular because I tend to be a an introvert. And this is the phase where we feel really social. As women, we have like a little extra like magnetism boost during this mm-hmm. phase mm-hmm. hormonally. So if you were gonna like, choose a workout for this phase it would really be something social like go to a group class like go on a run with a friend like go be at the park with other individuals Um, go to a dance class where you're in the room play a team sport but also hormonally you're also really primed for rigorous activity right now you're ready to go hard go home like if you're gonna go to a crossfit class go to it during this week right yeah go Go this week so really rigorous exercise um hit workouts interval training um really fiery movement practices are great to do during this time mm. yeah our third phase is the luteal phase and this is where um either the egg was fertilized or the egg was not fertilized so the body though is starting to shift into a state where it is preparing to create life. So it's going to start to conserve resources, which if you have ever started to become really ravenous during one week of the month, you're like, where's this appetite coming from? (laughs) It's because you just entered your luteal phase and the body is like, let's go time to store up nutrients which also the ovulatory phase could layer on to the summer season or like everyone's super vibrant and outgoing and social yeah. and, you know, outside doing things. And the luteal phase would layer on to the fall season. So, you know, you start to wind down, you're, you're going back to school. You're starting to you know be inside more. And it's the same thing. So we start to decelerate that really vibrant outgoing energy and just bring it more internal. Also, Like I just associate sweet potatoes with fall. Yeah. And you're going to have like during this phase, like those carbs, you're going to have carbohydrate cravings. You're going to want more food. So like warm nourishing foods go along with this. And this is where you can start to shift your movement practices away from the high intensity, like make you throw up sort of workouts into more more mobilization and restorative type of work. So maybe, you know, it's still a power yoga class, like a really challenging vinyasa class, but it's not, you're not doing tuck jumps at the CrossFit class. Um, it's like less plyometric heavy, um, but still it can still be rigorous and fortifying. I teach classes that use bands and I would say that those are super great for your luteal phase you still get the strength aspect, you're really like in your body, but you're not jumping all over your heart rates, not astronomical. Yeah, so Pilates and powerful yoga classes, strength training is super great at this time, your heart rate is low, but you still are working in a really powerful way, um, alignment focused. So these are all great choices during the luteal phase.
1: Yeah, I love that you brought up the the ravenous part because I actually totally experienced this this last month because yes. this is the one right before menstruation, right? Yeah, and I was just starving. I was like, "What is going on with me? I'm like eating everything <laughs> inside." Yes, <laughs> and I'm glad I just like went with it rather than you know doing the typical you know diet micromanaging thing of too many calories, gotta restrict, like uh, like I shouldn't allow myself that. I was like, ah, like my body needs this. I'm trusting it knows better than me.
0: I think that's too where like the diet research fails us is that you end up as a woman that happens every month. And if you have no awareness of where you are in your cycle, which most women don't track that, I shouldn't say most, I know women don't, some women don't track that. You're, you're leaving it up to chance. Like you're going to wake up and you're going to compare yourself to the day before because what else are you comparing it to mm-hmm. you so again when we say you know one day we felt great in our bodies and the next day we're having a terrible relationship we hate what we see in the mirror it feels like we gained 12 pounds we want to eat everything in sight like rather than seeing this as a transition a hormonal transition a physiological transition and under and being understanding that we're moving into our body needs different things in this week than it did before. Mm-hmm. It alleviates so much self-criticism, self-judgment, restriction. You don't need to be the same that you were the last four days, the last seven days. Like You don't. You should be completely different and like lean into that. This requires something different. This space does. And I think that there's just so much peace that comes and contentment that comes from knowing this blueprint because... It's just such a mental battle every day of your life otherwise.
1: Yeah. Well, it allows you to like take a break and it allows you the permission to not have every day be the same and to not yeah. try and replicate how you felt yesterday with how you feel today and to have honor for the fact that you have variance in that and that each yeah. cycle is actually in place for a reason. I love that you're associating the seasons with it because it provides a very clear image and metaphor for people to, to have like understanding that while it may not fit with society's idea of excellence, yes. <laughs> it's actually part of excellence and, and it's excellence in the areas that are actually more authentic to what we want. You know, it, it doesn't come down to looking good. Like we want to feel powerful and amazing in our bodies and full of energy and inspiration, it is actually not about the six pack. It is actually not about the body fat percentage because people respond to your energy and your energy is mitigated by these subtle details. The
0: thing that is so interesting too about this second half of your cycle is that you know, you can actually go back on all the progress that you made towards your fitness in the first two phases, if you continue at the same pace during these last two phases. So if you're pushing and you're trying to do, you know, the hit workout, you're trying to get to the CrossFit class, even though your body is literally begging you to slow down and just do some Pilates, do some intuitive dance, intuitive movement, like, when you have that resistance, I I will say that there are days that you should move your body. You shouldn't just sit around. But oftentimes, we're pushing ourselves to to stay accountable to a schedule that hasn't taken this information. Or as a woman, like we're not all on the same cycles. We all have different cycles, so there, it's impossible for any studio, even me, like knowing this information. Like I still have. It's not. It's not. I'm not able to. Give you the class that you need for your phase. Mm. We're all different. So it is totally up to you to apply this information and then hold boundaries around it. But because during your luteal phase, your body naturally excretes more cortisol. So you're already kind of like in this state where your body's a little bit more acidic. That stress response is kind of like already there. And this is most likely because your body is very intelligent. And if you were to be pregnant, it would want you to be a little bit more alert. <laughs> yes. Not just like hanging out, real chill. Um, so yeah, like the luteal phase is a lot, right? Your metabolism is increased, you're hungry, you're a little bit more vigilant and high alert. Cortisol is a little bit more. So if you continue at this crazy pace, it's really easy to kind of flip yourself backwards and, and burn yourself out. So what's something that you can do when you enter your luteal phase is to aim to keep your movement practice to 30 minutes or less. That is the amount of time that your body can use the glucose or like the glucose that you have to for energy and not have to recruit more energy from cortisol, which asks, taxes your adrenals to keep you going for that 45, 60 minute high intensity energy class. Mm. So giving yourself a cutoff point where you're like, I'm not going to take energy resources from my adrenals. Mm. I'm not going to tax my hormone supply, right? Because cortisol is a hormone. Like you only, your body can only dole out so much of it. And to be honest, we're, we're all, Like society is going to give you enough of that anyway. Like you don't (laughs) need your movement routine to like exacerbate what society is always already asking of you. Right. Um, So this is, I think that that is one of like the key takeaways is to just try to keep like, you don't have to do a 45 minute class, keep it to 30 minutes, but this is also where boundaries become super important and, and what ends in validation start to come into play because you know it doesn't feel good to get up in the middle of a of a fitness class 30 minutes in and be like I paid 40 dollars for this but peace out I'll see you later or to be like I'm going to stay home and not go to the community that gives me a lot because I I only want to move for 30 minutes no one or very few people are going to be like, wow, good. You held back. Like you cut it off early. Like you didn't like, you're not going to receive praise for holding these boundaries for yourself, which is where it becomes excruciatingly hard. I, I find no one is giving you a gold medal. No one's going to give you a trophy for doing what is best for your body in this phase
1: but your body gives you those benefits later, right? Like that's yes. the that's difficult thing. If we can get past these like social illusions and assumptions, yes. the shoulds and supposed tos, and you can trust that like your body knows where to take you and that only you get to communicate with it. Nobody else gets that communication. Yes. That by honoring that signal and honoring what you know you need first independent of anything around you like mm-hmm. that is where you take your power back and it, it yeah. may be excruciating those first few times but when you learn how to get comfortable with that and you can develop a habit with it it, it also translates in your ability to set boundaries in other areas say no to the things you don't want to do not try and support and take care of people who really aren't your responsibility you know yes. I think it's such an important exercise but I'm glad you brought up the the sort of obstacle you know that 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 provides and how like that is the real challenge here it's not even like exercising that pun intended but it, yeah. it's people to hold the boundary in context of a world and an industry where that boundary is not honored
0: absolutely I think it has to do on a level as well as just being inherently a woman or a female is that so much of leaving early quitting, you know, not, not being able to go at the distance equates to weakness. And the last thing we would want to do is be seen as weak because of our period, you know, or because, because we're honoring our cycle. That's something only women have. and, So I think that's really important to acknowledge that holding boundaries is not weak. Holding back is not weak. It's so intelligent and it transmits, like you said, into so much sovereignty and internal power that translates into infinite other areas of your life when you can do it and exercise it, you know, just in this arena.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm loving this. So let's get to the final phase, menstrual
0: phase. phase. Yes, our (laughs) menstrual phase, which is probably if you didn't know there were four phases, probably the one you knew about, I would hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is the one you're most familiar with.
0: (laughs) All right. So this is when your uterine lining is shed and you bleed. And this is Period or not, pun intended. Um, this phase, um, your period is where hormone levels are their lowest, and you again, you're shedding the uterine lining, you're really releasing everything that happened this month. If you want to think about it more esoteric level, right? You're letting it go, it's gone. Um, it's really like a completion stage, which is which is beautiful. Anytime that you complete something to begin a new cycle this phase, because the hormones are at their lowest, um, the the hemispheres of your brain are actually in greater communication with one another than any point in time, because your hormone levels are higher at every other stage of your cycle. So when you have this inclination to rest and restore, and maybe potentially reflect, lean into those urges during this time, like, take naps let naps be your workout during this phase or a really light movement or breath work pilates 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 i love it
1: (laughs) or rolling around on the ground like easy stretching just like mm, doing a little bit of like easy feel good like we mentioned like that those practices where you don't really sweat but you're just like sort of tapping into like oh yeah that, that was a really good stretch like i'm gonna like stay there a little bit and then ooh, what happens when I do this but like those really kind of more internally focused sumptuous practices
0: yeah it should feel really delicious and bring you joy if you're moving during this time or even just going for like a a a brisk walk you know like be connecting with nature being outside so yeah really listening to like what your intuition and what signals your body is telling you it needs like follow those inclinations during this time again they're gonna be like at the forefront during this phase Like you're so intuitive you're so in touch with yourself during your period which you can use to your advantage like this is when you want to look back on your month like how did it go how did I feel where do I want to go like how am I doing? How am I feeling? Where am I in life? These are all like such excellent things to consider during this time. I recently had a period just like two weeks ago, and I didn't show up on social media, just tapped out, I was staying upstate with my parents. And I really took the opportunity to cocoon. And I was kind of vying with a bit of a big decision, like a big life decision. And I leaned in hard. I took the week off teaching and I just committed to letting this period show me what the right decision for me was going to be. And so satisfying to feel that decision come through so clearly because I was able to remove the hype and the hubbub and any commotion that I was Experiencing or like mental chatter, like quiet that and really listening to like what was coming from my heart and my soul during this time so Just leaning into that and like using the power like your cycle has so much power to it If you align with it and like ride its flow Like it's a superpower. So so using it that way
1: Yeah, rather than like just being frustrated because it works on a different system right it's sort of it's like having internet. different operating systems and like let's say you got like windows and and you're pretending like it's an apple well not windows <laughs> like you've got, you've got yeah. um what's the word? <laughs> yeah hp I don't, PC I don't know or something and you're trying yeah. to use an <laughs> apple computer like you're in you're in for a rough ride but like the pc probably has like unique things to it that like actually allow it to work in an entirely different way not like better or worse, just different. And I think the beauty of of being a woman and having a cycle and the fact that we are innately more intuitive and like emotional allows us to like, just lean into a different way of being. And that's something to be embraced. I mean, you mentioned the feminine and masculine energy that runs for all of us, men and women. Yeah. And I I think what we have to do as a society is learn to embrace the feminine energy as a whole. You know, and unless we do that, we can't really appreciate the masculine energy either. By distancing that masculine energy, we are, I should say, suppressing our feminine energy. We've actually disconnected our masculine energy as a result. And then we're not able to revel in that beautiful balance between the two.
0: Yes. I think when you start to do this work and start to integrate it into your life, it becomes so much clearer. And again, what I love about Chinese medicine is that it's really helped me reach for what I need to get back to center or to harmonize myself as opposed to the binary good, bad, you know, or healthy, unhealthy sort of way lens of looking at things. And when you do this work, you start to get in touch. Okay, what is a healthy feminine energy? What is my like feminine flow. And then because you know that it's so much easier to recognize the masculine that supports that like masculine balance, because you know, the feminine well, and it's also easier to recognize when both of them are out of balance because you know them well. And I think that this is really the measure of like my definition of success is like one's adaptability to be able to recognize where you are in the present moment and then be able to reach for what you need to bring yourself back into balance but you have to know the ends of the spectrum and you have to know where you where your personal constitution is so individualized from anyone else that like you're the only one that can call those shots for yourself
1: like what you mentioned about the adaptability factor i think it even goes a little bit further where being able to recognize how you're feeling in a moment and know what it is you don't want. So you can then know what you do and then figure out what steps can you take now in a small way that leads you closer to what you do want instead of just being, Oh, well, it's not here. Like, like adaptability is like seeing what you want and devising a way to move towards it. And when we Mm -hmm. learn how to do this with our body, like recognize a need, and move towards that need as fast and as readily as possible, no holds barred, without like what I'm supposed to do or what I should be doing, getting in the way. This is where how we relate to our bodies is actually a reflection of how we relate to ourselves. It's how we relate to our dreams and our desires. And so it isn't just the one thing, it's everything.
0: Yes. The beauty of this work too, is that every month is a process. And so you get so acquainted with what it's like to be in process and that everything is a process, adaptability included, right? So you can't, it's not just the nature of starting to apply this work to your life too, is so slow in nature, right? Like you have to wait every month to see like, did I have crazy PMS symptoms or did the behaviors that I took in the first two phases, start, start to alleviate some of those PMS symptoms that we don't need to experience. So every month you're like, it's just like a fun exploration, like, okay, how can I align it better? And again, you're inching your way in a very slow progression towards how you want to feel what you do want. Um, mm. yeah, your potential.
1: Oh, I love that. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to like illustrate all that. And I know there's so much further we can go, but for the sake of everybody, I think it's like a good stopping point. And as we wrap up, I don't know if there's any other additional words of wisdom (laughs) on top of all the wisdom you've layered in here today that you would like to leave our listeners with.
0: I think that your body knows best is a great a great place to leave it and uh your body is your home and your vessel and so befriend it and follow people or practices and environments that encourage that and notice if if someone is putting you at odds with your body it's probably not in your highest service because that's your environment. Like that's your best friend. That's that's the thing that's with you forever. And that's your container and the way that you um, are going to be here and do your work and fulfill your purpose on the planet. So it's important that you're on the same team.
1: Yeah, be your body's best friend. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much, Claudia. This was such a joy, such a pleasure. Thank you. I'm so glad we were able to create some real magic here today.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Yes, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous and be good to yourself and have a beautiful day.